we're in the third week of our Redefine series and uh, loving this series, loving what we're learning in this. Uh, in, in light of what we have just been talking about, uh, the text today is really interesting. So we're in Luke chapter 6 and we're starting in verse 37 and it simply goes like this, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Nobody speaks so carefully and deeply to the heart and the head like Jesus Christ. And when he said, come follow me, he committed himself through his sacrifice, through his word, through the Holy Spirit, and through the community of the church to give us everything we need to help follow him as we train ourselves in Christ-likeness. And this redefined series really begins to, to get to the core of what that is all about. What does it mean to follow Jesus Christ? Well, it's a redefined life where we live for eternity. It's a redefined life where we love our enemies, which was last week. And if you were here and you're reeling under the weight of how on earth do I love my enemies, buckle up because it doesn't get any easier this week. Jesus had been talking to his disciples, but he'd also had a whole bunch of other people there and, and the, the crowd there. And there's this little statement he makes in verse 27 earlier on where he says, to you who are listening, and that's definitely his disciples, but others who are eavesdropping, but I wonder if you're listening this morning. And I wonder if we listen to God or whether we just hear him. And I wonder if when we read the Bible, if we just simply read it or if we listen to what the Holy Spirit might be wanting to say. I wonder if, I wonder if we really do pay attention to him as he teaches because when he does teach, his words are life, his words are transformational, his words are powerful, his words are true. To you who are listening, would you be listening this morning as we uncover this text. To the disciples and to the eavesdroppers, to those who are listening, he teaches the way of the kingdom, the way to live in the power in the presence of God with your feet firmly planted on earth. And as he taught, he was surrounded by an incredible mix of people. You know, sitting in earshot would have been people who were dissatisfied with the now and therefore critical of the past that got them to the now. He would have been an earshot of others who were longing for the good old days, if only it was like it used to be 30 years ago. There would have been people sitting there in earshot who had been abused, had been swindled, had been bullied, had been ignored. The lonely would be sitting there, the defamed would be there, and the offended would be there. Those with differing moral frameworks and sexuality would be sitting there. Those from different nationalities and cultures were there. And even 
the person who felt that life was simply passing them by and everybody else had it better than they did was sitting there. And they would, as we're all inclined to do, feel justified in passing judgment on others because, you see, the abused has a right to judge the abuser. The wronged can judge the wrongdoer. The morally superior would, of course, pass judgment on the morally inferior. And even those who thought they were missing out, is a little judgmental on those who they perceive to have everything and life is so much easier for you. And these words of Jesus would have taken their breath away when he said, don't judge. Don't judge. You know, it's a really popular verse. I don't know if you've noticed. It's one which actually gets trotted out every now and then in our society, you know, where people will say, oh, your Jesus says don't judge, so don't judge me. And what they mean by that is, well, it's a universal acceptance of any lifestyle or teaching and judgment is out, love and acceptance is in. Don't judge. This is the message that we're often given. And yet when we stop and think about it for a minute, when we think of the word judge, we think of forming an opinion on something and to search out what is true, which is is challenging because we do live in this time where to disagree with someone has been redefined as having a hate for them. Rick Warren puts it this way. He says, our culture has accepted two huge lies. The first is that if you disagree with somebody's lifestyle, you must fear or hate them. And the second is that to love someone means you agree with everything they believe or they do. Well, this command cannot mean that you are not allowed to have deep convictions about what is right and wrong because the Bible and life itself call us to test and to pass judgment on many things. In Acts chapter 17, verse 11, uh, the Berean Jews were commended by Paul because they were of a more noble character than those in Thessalonica. (laughs) He's comparing the two. They received the message with great eagerness and examined the Scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Yeah, we're called as followers of Christ to not accept every word or any word, we are to line it up against this. We are to test it. What I'm saying today, it's what you should not do is simply say, oh, well, the pastor said this, therefore I believe it. You should say, I need to weigh this and I need to test this against this word to work out its truth. Because when you don't, that's how cults form. Because people don't test the word. Because every single one of us has a great potential to get it horribly wrong. And so we test. We're to discern between truth and error. Interestingly enough, in Acts chapter 6, when the the church back in uh, Jerusalem was going through birth pains and growing pains, uh, they needed some people to to step up in leadership. And so Acts 6 verse 3 says, Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. So here we have this situation where they need more leadership in the church. And God says, well, go and find people who are full of the Spirit and full of wisdom. Well, they had to judge. 
They had to look around the room and they'd say, well, who's full of wisdom and who's got the Holy Spirit filling them? I choose you and I choose you and I choose you. I guarantee you that in that, that wider group of people, there are some people who are really kind of like, you know, disappointed that they missed out. I bet you there was probably some people who were glad they did. But they had this church where they were saying, we need to work out who's got the gift of leadership. We need to work out who is full of the Spirit. They judged. We're told to judge prophecies. In 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 20, Paul says, Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good and reject every kind of evil. See, we believe that the Holy Spirit gives the gifts for the building up of the body, and one of those gifts is the gift of prophecy. And what happens when you have a prophetic word, you, you, you will give it, but you, like everybody else, is a fallible human being, and so you've got to test it. You've got to judge if it is true. And the first way you judge if it's true is you hold it up against this. And if the word that you have is out of line with the Bible, there's no competition. The Bible wins. And that's why sometimes you'll see people just sort of wander up quietly during a worship time and they might have a chat with somebody down the front. It's not that they're asking us how our weekend went. It's the same, well, I just really have the sense that God might have this word that could encourage the church. Now, when that happens, there's often a little conversation that goes on down here, which is along the lines of this. Tell me what it is you think you, the Lord might be saying to you. Okay, I, first of all, first question, is that consistent with the Bible? If it's not, sorry. Or if it is, okay, well, is that right for the moment? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. And sometimes you see people stand and say, look, I just want to encourage you with this word. Why? Because we're testing, we're judging prophecies. And it's why you don't just let, let kind of, it just happen because you need to test and you need to judge. But more than that, the foundation of any society is that you will abide by laws that are judged to be in the best interests of that society. And courts of law that we have, and, and law enforcement is there for the good and the protection of our community. So we can see that there is a legitimate exercise of judgment in both law and church, in discipline and in theology. And so if that's the case, what is Jesus saying when he says, do not judge? Well, think about the person listening to Jesus as he taught about doing good to your enemies. Think about the person who then started thinking about others and settled into a nice realization that other people were not that good at loving their enemies. And that other people, in fact, they're failing at this and they should be condemned for not measuring up. And think to yourself, if that's a stretch, think about the last time you listened to a really challenging sermon and you thought, man, I wish so-and-so heard that. You're judging. And that's the core of what Jesus is getting to here. You see, in every crowd, including this one, there's a heart attitude, which is that we judging others. It's the person with a judgmental spirit. It's the person who has a tendency to criticize and to find fault in others. It's the person who is addicted to criticism. 
where they are so critical that they will find something wrong in everything. It's the person who always makes themselves look better by criticizing others as worse. It's the person who will only see faults in other people. It's the person who can always be relied on to bring others down. It's the person who can't see past another person's failure. You see, the command is actually about the character of our judgment. And we see it in our marriages. And we see it in ministries. We see it in churches. We see it in business places. We see it in our work. We see it in our relationships. We see it in our friendships. I wonder how many of these have been blown apart by our judgment and by our condemnation. I wonder how many of us have created monsters in our mind and we never see past them. So, what does forgiving and giving then look like if we're not to judge and not to condemn? And that's a hard attitude. Well, come with me like this. Let's say someone says or does something that shakes your trust in them. Now you, maybe it was a, a word that they spoke. Maybe it was something they did. And it, and it hurt you or it offended you or it, it, it just shook your trust in them. And, and you know, things are not the same as what they were. You know those feelings when, oh, it's just, man, something's happened and it's, it's in between us now. What do we do with this? Well, what's happened in that moment is that in your mind you've just created a debt that that person owes you. And they need to make it up to your work to rectify the situation to prove their trustworthiness again. It goes like this. Somebody says something to you and you go, man, that offended me, dead. They did something which was out of character. And I can't believe they did that, dead. They did something and it hurt me, dead. And you start piling debt upon debt upon debt, and when you look at them, you find that thing colors everything and you can't see past it. And whenever you hear their name or you, you see them, it's like that debt is in the way and that's all that you can see. And you want to condemn them, but Jesus gives us a redefined way and he says, no, don't condemn, don't judge, forgive. It's interesting, do you know what forgive means? Release from debt. Free. And the way that the word is here, Jesus is saying, forgive and keep on forgiving. Have a character quality, which is that you are continually forgiving others because that will protect you from forming a critical view of that person where you are always defining them by their worst moments. And to forgive frees the person so you don't judge and condemn, you forgive. But here's where it gets interesting. Because if all we had to do was forgive, we would simply have to say, I forgive you. And the debt's gone, and I can now forget about you and carry on with life. But Jesus says, no, forgive and give. 
And it's not just a nice little turn of phrase where he dropped the four and he went forgive and give and it sort of rhymes and it's all nice. It's a whole new world. He says, I want you not only to forgive them where you free them, I want you to give to them, I want you to build them up. So if someone has hurt you, I want you to forgive and then build them up. And, he, and here's a couple of ways that you can do that. Firstly, through your words, and secondly, through your time. Think about time. Think about how if someone has hurt you, you use time really well. And you do it like this. You say, I'm not going to give you any of my time. I'm not going to look at you. I'm not going to spend time with you. I'm not going to be in the same room as you. If you walk in, I'm walking out. If I'm looking at you, I'm not going to look at your eyes. I'm going to look down because I'm going to dishonor you by not looking at you in the face. And whereas we used to spend time, I'm just going to slowly pull back. So you really feel the fact that this is there and Jesus says, know what, give them time, build them up. Give them attention, build them up. Give them the dignity to look them in the eye and appreciate them. And where they've hurt you, you say, I am battling against that and I'm going to give you what you deserve as a precious creation of God. And give them words. Words are so powerful. They pull down and they build up. And here's the incredible thing about this. That you, if you've got someone in this situation and they've hurt you, you need to forgive them. Because what you're currently looking at, you're seeing them through the wrong that they've done. When you turn the other way and you give words, you're speaking over them the good which is in their life. You're not focusing on the bad, you're speaking into the good. And you're encouraging the good, you're encouraging the incredible which is in them. You're talking about, here's what I see in you. And you know, can I just suggest to you that some of us in here have never had somebody actually sit down, look us in the face and tell you what you're really good at. There's nothing more precious than having somebody else tell you what you're good at and congratulate you for what God is doing in you and through you. And can I suggest two things here? Firstly, if you're not in the practice of doing that with other people, start today. And you might say, oh man, well if I start, will somebody do it to me? We'll get to that in a minute. But can I just encourage you, start today. Start telling people what they're good at. You might say, yeah, but they did all these things that are wrong. But wait a minute, you've forgiven that. That's gone. You've released the debt. Now build them up. You see, nobody ever becomes an incredible person if you keep focusing on the things they've done wrong. And here's the call, it's to encourage the good, it's to speak it into them, it's to put wind under their sails. And when you do this, you'll find freedom in yourself. So Jesus says, give and it will be given to you, a good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Such an incredible little picture here. And by the way, if you've ever heard a preacher preach on this and then do an offering at the end of it, they got it completely wrong. Just saying it. Right? It's got nothing to do with a financial offering in here. Right? So if you have heard it like that, I mean, you can have fun with it, but it's just so wrong. Anyway, um, what does it mean? Okay, it means this. So here's the picture Jesus is giving. Imagine you go into the market back in Jesus' day and you want to buy some grain. And you go along with your little container. 
and your container, you take it to the merchant, you say, I want to buy a container full of grain. Now, what they would normally do is they'd sort of get their scoop out, and they'd pour some grain in, and they'd charge you for a container's worth of grain. What Jesus is saying here, he said, in this whole economy of what we're talking about, the merchant takes the container, and the first thing he does is he pours the grain in, and then he presses it down like a really good long black. And then after he's done that, he pours more in. And then he shakes it to make sure that there's no other space in the container. And then once it's absolutely as full as it can possibly be, he says, now, I want you to hold it in your cloak, and I want you to hold it in your lap with your cloak there and put the container there. I'm going to pour more in so it overflows, and you have an absolute abundance of grain which is in your lap from the container you've got. Here's the point. Whatever you give out, you will receive back generously. You pour out judgment and condemnation on people, that will be poured back generously into your life. You pour out forgiveness and giving and generosity, and that will be poured back generously into your life. What are you receiving? It's a good measure of what you are giving. He also told them this parable. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. You know, the blind can't lead the blind. And you can't make a difference in the lives of others if you've not dealt with the plank in your own eye. It's very difficult to see with a piece of 4 by 2 sticking out of your face. And Jesus is calling us to redefine life, to be fully trained to be like our teacher, to become like Jesus, to grow in Christ-like character, to be forgiving and to be generous. So where do we start? Well, can I suggest that we ponder the forgiveness and the generosity of Jesus Christ towards us? Have you noticed that he, more than anyone, has the right to judge and to condemn. He was misunderstood. He was rejected. He was betrayed. He was falsely accused. He was beaten. He was humiliated. He was abused, and he was murdered. And yet his words were, Father, forgive them. To be trained to be like Jesus means that we choose to respond with forgiveness and generosity, even if we feel we might have the right to judge and to condemn. Because you see, forgiving those who sin against us is not optional for followers of Jesus. He told a story of a, of a servant who 
owed a significant amount of money to his master. And he had no way of repaying it, and if justice was to be meted out, the servant would have been imprisoned until he could repay, which would have been never. And he went and he appealed to the mercy of his master, and his master forgave him the debt. And then the servant, now he was free, went and found someone who owed him a little bit of money, a bit of pocket change compared to the other debts, a little bit like he was forgiven a mortgage, and now he wanted to cash up some pocket change. And he goes to the person who owes him that money, and he says, you owe me this money. And this person said to him, well, I'm sorry, I can't pay. And so the servant imprisoned this other friend, and he said, well, you're going to be imprisoned until you pay. And then Jesus said in verse 32 of Matthew 18, then the master called the servant in, and he said, you wicked servant. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? Over the years, I've been blessed with generosity of of others in various ways, as I'm sure you have too to some extent, but there's nothing like having someone forgive you. When you've made a mess of it, you've, you've said the wrong thing or you've just done something dumb and you come back to that other person who, when you say, I'm sorry, They look you in the eye and they say, I forgive you. It's like a weight of debt falls off your shoulders. Do you know that? Have you experienced that? It's the same as when you come to Christ. It's the same thing, except even more profound. Because when you taste God's forgiveness and generosity through Jesus Christ, when you realize that you are separate from him, that your entire, the cumulative effect of your entire life is, means that you deserve judgment and condemnation. And he looks at you and he says, but I love you and I forgive you. When you receive that and you experience that, it's, it's you realize that you can then begin to pour that into others as you grow and are trained in Christ-likeness. But I've got to tell you, it's a hard concept for people to think like that when they, real, or then they think they're not completely helpless. You see, when we come in any of these situations, we think, well, I've got some of this. We miss out on the power and the grace and the mercy of God. And so, to love as we should, to forgive and to give as we should, we need to judge our own sins down to the heart level. To realize that we, just like the person next to us, is in desperate need of the forgiveness and generosity from God. And then from others as we muddle our way through life. And when, having received God's mercy, then we, from a position of humility, can extend that same forgiveness to other people. You see, this is the economy of God. God forgave you, but he did far more than just forgive you. You see, when, he, when you come to him, he says, I forgive you and I'll cancel the debt that's written against you. But more than that, I'm going to give you a whole lot of things. 
I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit to be at at home in your heart. I'm going to give you gifts of the Spirit so that you can bless other people. I'm going to give you a new family with a new name. I'm going to give you a new identity. I'm going to give you a hope and a future. I'm going to give you so many things. He forgives and he gives and he calls us to us. The more we get like Christ, the more we forgive and we give. And when we as followers of Jesus Christ grab a hold of this, I want to tell you, it'll transform your family. It'll transform your life. It'll transform your life group. It'll transform the church. Because we'll give without reserve. Because it's exactly what he did. I wonder when the last time was that you looked closely at the generosity of God toward you in Christ. It changes your life. You know, the other thing I've learned is that this Christ-like character formation doesn't happen sitting in an armchair. It happens in the tough things of life. I find that learning to be forgiving and giving, you don't learn it when there's nothing going on. You learn it when someone's hurt you. You learn it when someone's broken trust. You learn it when you've been offended. You learn it when you've entered into the sufferings of Jesus. Which is why if you're not going through those at the moment, this is so important because I want to tell you, if you're learning it without the foundation of it, it's a struggle. So get God's word into your heart, meditate on it, think on it, because then as your character is being transformed through pressure, you turn out to be a diamond as opposed to an explosion. So with that in mind, let me finish with some questions. And these are deliberately designed to be uncomfortable to allow the Holy Spirit to bring conviction that maybe will bring revelation and will allow the Holy Spirit to develop Christ-likeness in us. Some of these will relate, some of them won't. But let me ask them anyway. What's your attitude toward the Shinjongi cult? Toward the three people on the screen? Did you judge them? When you saw them share their story, did you find yourself thinking, man, that would never be me? Or did you give? Did you think, man, I want to celebrate the fact that they're free. And I want to pray for them and see them grow. What did you do? What about the leaders of the cult? Are they the enemy? Do you judge them? Yeah, can I tell you that for a bunch of the leaders here in Wellington, I've had extended family members from other parts of New Zealand ring me on the phone in tears saying, have you found my daughter, my son, my sister, my brother? They're not the enemy. The teachings and the cult is the enemy. It's satanic. There are people who are caught. Forgive, give. 
What's your response to someone who's wronged you? Are you viewing somebody with a debt? Do you see them through that? Are you defining people by their worst moment? What's the character of your judgments? Are you that person who can be relied on to pull other people down? Do you always look at a situation or look at a person and have a negative spin on it? What say someone's apologized and you are refusing to give them the gift of forgiveness? And you've got them. They've apologized, they've humbled themselves, they've put them out there, but you, you, you like the control. Because when you say, I forgive you, you have given them the gift of freedom, but right now you actually like it that they actually need to be a little bit cautious around you and walk on eggshells around you because that just makes you feel in control and powerful. It's not the way of Jesus. He forgave. I wonder if you've created some monsters in your mind. I wonder if there are people who you just see all wrong. I wonder if you're blowing your family apart because of a judgmental spirit. And last one, I've got to tell you that when we look through the history of the church the past 2,000 years, I don't think we've done a particularly good job at living out these verses. I think there are periods of time and I think there are sectors of the church that is judged harshly and cruelly and has not exhibited the gracious, forgiving, giving of Jesus Christ. And maybe that for you has colored your view of the church and you feel like the church can't be trusted. Maybe that has been your experience. Maybe you've been judged as opposed to restored. Maybe you feel it. Maybe it might not even be reality, but you just simply feel like, man, they're all judging me. It's judging me. The church, whatever it is, it's just this big amorphous cloud of judgment. And every time you think about it, even though you're here, you go, man, I just can't belong. You You need to forgive the church. And you need to release that debt that you have built up in your mind. Why? Because the church is the community of believers along with the Holy Spirit and the word that Jesus has put into your life to grow you to be like Christ. And that decision might be one of the most profound ones you can ever make to submit yourself and surrender yourself again to the power of what Jesus calls his bride and to grow in it going to take courage like I said last week we just had to love our enemies now we've got to love the church hmm. would you stand with me take a couple of moments ask the Holy Spirit what is it that needs to change in me what is it that needs right now to be released? Is there a part of my world where I am judgmental and condemning? 
Does my character represent Christ and that I am forgiving and I am giving? You and the Lord just surrender it to Him. You know, I just want to take a moment. I, just, I sense there's some people here that this is, has spoken deeply to you. and You're battling right now in your mind and your heart with, man, if I do this, I'm going to lose. I'm going to lose my control. I'm going to lose my power. I'm going to lose my right to hold this view. That's, that's a, it's a big call. But I want to encourage you in this moment to take a step forward. And before you have that conversation, we'd love to pray for you. And for some of you right now, what that means is this. You're going to actually get out of where you're standing. You're going to come and stand down the front and you're going to say, God, I... I have no idea even how this is going to work out, but I want to trust you. And so I'm going to stand here and say, Holy Spirit, I need you to help me. If that's you, or anything where you say, man, I need his, I need his touch, would you just leave where you're standing? Would you come and stand at the front? And just people will let you get past if you need to. If we do anything else in these next couple of minutes, just say, yeah, that's me. I'll need his power. Thanks you, just quietly move out. Father, thank you for being with us today. My prayer is that what has been of you will that find fertile soil in our soul and would grow us into Christ's likeness. Father, would you would you form in us a Jesus-centeredness which makes such a difference in that world? Would we be liberal with our forgiveness and our generosity? And would we be very much aware of who we are before we're quick to judge and condemn? So Father, would you lead us? Would you guide us? Would you form us to be those Christ followers that you call us to be. Father, we ask this in the mighty, the powerful, the, the precious name of our Lord and our Saviour, Jesus Christ, from whom, to whom, and through whom are all things. He is the author and the perfecter of our faith, and we honour him. 
Father, as we go into this week, lead us and guide us. Give us our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, Lord, for yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and forever. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. Love to pray.